We're going to keep the kids in today because we have something very special. I'm speaking, so. Um, my phone's on in case Jesus wants to call me. Um, the, uh, the conference was really good. If you missed it, I, are we going to have it available on CD or podcast? Yes? We'll have it on podcast. I guess CDs are going the way of the dodo, huh? Um, so we'll have those for you soon. And we'll put it on the website and uh, let you know. But uh, everybody did a great job. I wanted to thank, I have such a long list, the speakers. Uh, Rob Myers isn't here, but he spoke. Joe Braden did a great job. Wasn't Joe's? Yeah. Really good. But the beauty, the beauty of the gospel. And uh, David and Heather spoke. They did a great job. Mike and Andrea did a good job. Diane Vaughn did a good job. So let's thank them again for... And then we had a lot of support from, from the deans, the Olenicheks, the Kumrals, the Witties, and just all the people that pitched, and even the people afterwards that helped set up and vacuum and clean up. Um, it, it takes everybody, and we appreciate everything that was done. Um, the Lord... Lord really used it, I believe, in many people's lives. So today I'm going to keep the kids in. They're like, oh, crud. Because <laughs> we're not going to have a, we're not going to have a, a deep theological sermon. Um, I do want you to open your Bibles to John 4. Now, I'm going to tell you, as you're turning there, the, uh, I gave, I gave uh, Justice the title of my sermon this morning, because he asked for it, but between the time I left home and came to church, God gave me a different sermon. <laughs> and I, the whole time during worship, I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't like when you do this to me. <laughs> I, I don't like being having any ambivalence when I walk into a pulpit. I don't like that. And usually I don't have, usually I, you know, I'm not like that. I even have sermon prepared. It's right here if you want to look at it. It's all written out. But the, the funny thing is, is early in the week, you know, as I was praying about preaching, I mean, the general theme you've been hearing is the gospel, right? You've been hearing a lot about the gospel. You've been hearing a lot about the need for God's people to share the gospel. That's been the general theme that the Lord has been impressing upon us. When I say us, not just me. I think the church leadership uh, really for months now. Um, but, I, but I didn't scope out, okay, I'm going to do 12 sermons on this topic and, and do that. I wanted to be much more open to the Holy Spirit's leading and, and to seek him each week and ask him what I was to preach on that week on that general theme. <clears throat> so I was going to preach today on praying for the lost. It was a good topic, right? But early in the week, the Lord impressed John 4 on me about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. And so I went and looked at it and kind of pondered it. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And then, uh, so I prepared a different sermon and not that sermon. And then this morning, in my car, the Lord said, John 4. I'm like, darn it. I picked the wrong one. And as we worshiped, well, okay. So, here's what happened. I'm in my car, and, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to share your testimony today. And I'm like, 
I don't want to share my testimony today. And, and he said, well, I basically, he didn't say this audibly, but here's the thing going on in my head. It, it real, I realized that in John 4, that's what it's about. This is a story about a woman's testimony and how God used her testimony. And that's what the Lord had impressed upon me early in the week, but I didn't get it. It didn't click for me. You know what I mean? And so, and then he, he kind of brought that back to mind. Like I was telling you back then that, you know, John 4, testimony, the power of a person's testimony. And I'm like, mm, okay. So I walk into church and I walk into my office, sit down for a minute, and I pick up this book for no other reason than it was just sitting there. This is the truth. I just picked it up, just because I'm kind of, mm, pick it up, chapter title, The Power of Your Personal Story. <laughs> and then to leave no doubt, Mike Dean gives this long thing about personal testimony. Okay, is this all random or, or, or yeah. no? So um, let's look at John 4, but then I'm, I'm not going to exegete it heavily or anything. I'm going to talk about my story a bit, but not to focus, not because I want to talk about myself. As a matter of fact, I'm often asked to give my testimony, and I think I'm asked because I don't like to talk about I'm not in the pulpit about, it's not about me. But we all have a story. We heard a lot of great testimonies this weekend. Um, And as this author points out, he says, people can argue with you about the facts, but they can't argue with you about your story. Right? And we all have a story. Um, So in John 4, um, we'll just read through this. Uh, John 4, verse 5, So when he, Jesus, came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and uh, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said, Hmm, I'll take it. That's what you're offering? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So she's still thinking in more physical terms. Great. If I get this special water Jesus had, I never have to come back to the well anymore and do any work, right? Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. 
And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> Clearly, he knows all this information about her that was not humanly possible, right? Then she goes on to this long discussion about worship, which we're going to skip for the sake of time. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Now, they marveled because first she was a woman and secondly, she was a Samaritan. And in this culture, both of those things were negatives. The woman, verse 28, then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So this woman meets Jesus. Jesus impresses her. Uh, she realizes he must be a prophet. Then after the discussion about worship, it's like, oh, this could be the Messiah. So she goes then to the, to the city and begins to tell the people in the city. Then in verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman. They believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So, well, I mean, there's so many lessons here, and maybe we'll spend a few weeks looking at this, this passage. Um, but one of the, the obvious lessons from this passage is the power of a person's story. And here we see not just Jesus witnessing or his disciples witnessing, but we see someone who believes in Jesus right there witnessing. And we have other accounts in the gospel like this where people are either healed or they get saved, they believe, and then it says they want Jesus. And some, sometimes Jesus says, don't go tell anybody yet. Okay, it's not a good time. But they, go and they just have to tell people about Jesus. So she, you know, tells her story about how she met this guy and he knows who I am and he must be a prophet, he must be a Messiah. And he's like, wow, people coming. Okay. So everybody has a story. So I want to tell you a little bit about my story because there's, there's lessons here for us, not just about um, evangelism, there's also lessons about the Christian life. Uh, let me, and, and before I proceed, let me, let me preface myself with this, is that when you're sharing your story with someone, you, you have to know, I shouldn't say you have to, it's very helpful if you know their story. And the reason is, 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 is your story, you know, your life is full and there's many aspects of, of what Christ has done for you and in you. And knowing their story helps you tailor your testimony, if you will, to the needs of the person you're talking to. So Jesus is at a well, right? So what does he talk about? Water, not bread. It's important, right? He talks about the bread later. He's at a well, he talks about water, okay? She's there for what? Water. Get, get the point? So your message, uh, can, your testimony can be tailored to the need of the person you're talking to, assuming you know that person. 
when you're talking to a non-Christian, often the story is what you were like before Jesus, meeting Jesus, and then the change, right? Matter of fact, in this book, the author says this. Pretty funny, actually. He says, let me tell you your story without even knowing you. You were in rebellion against God because of your sin. You heard the gospel. You believed in Jesus and turned from your sin. He forgave you of all your sins and gave you a peace and purpose in life. Now, instead of going to hell, you were going to heaven. <laughs> True of every Christian, right? That's all of our story, right? But, but that's, that's the B.C. To the, to the A.C. story. But for us who've known the Lord for any length of time, we have two testimonies. We have the B.C. A.C., B.C. meaning before cassettes, no, no, before Christ, and then we have the after Christ story, what I was like as a pagan and then being saved. But then, as Christians, we have testimony after testimony of Christ in our lives, right? Of all the things that the Lord has done for us. Now, some of you came to the Lord as, when you were young and you don't have a dramatic conversion experience. I mean, you can even come to the Lord as an adult and not have a dramatic thing. It can be a, more of a progressive awakening, if you will, realization. My story is, is, is more of the dramatic conversion experience. So let me tell you about a little bit of the B.C. I was born uh, in a hospital because I wanted to be close to my mother. Uh, into a Roman Catholic family that wasn't... It was a split family, a believing mother and a, an atheist father. But we were put in parochial school. We attended Mass every week. But there was, there was, there was a no connection between that religious observance and the reality of our lives. In other words, our home life was completely godless. Completely godless. My dad was an alcoholic, and he was abusive, uh, verbally, physically. So it was, a, it was a, a very bad situation at home. Now, in spite of his addictions and problems, he went to work, he provided... Uh, so I'm not attempting to dishonor his memory in any way. But the reality was is that we, we got by as a family, I would say lower middle class family, but we weren't really a family. And that's what alcoholism can do, does to a family. It, there isn't really a family. And so there was constant conflict and fighting and heartache, and it, it, was, a bad, it was a bad situation. Now, to any outside observer, they would have assumed we were the typical Catholic family. Um, and on the outside, all looked well. I went to a school where I, I wore a uniform every day. You know what I'm saying? So, typical conservative middle class family. Uh, as if all were well. When in fact, our, our, our family life was really our own private hell. And some of you understand that, is that there's the appearance from the outside, but if people don't know you and know your family situation, they have no idea the pain that's going on. And I, I'm, I'm stressing this because as we look at other people, we often see them on the surface. They got a nice house, they got a couple cars, they got a couple cute dogs, a couple cute kids, they got a swing set in the backyard. And you have no idea 
the private hell that may be going on behind closed doors. We've seen neighbors of ours who all of a sudden the wife's gone. Well, where did she go? Well, clearly they got a divorce. All looked well on the outside. Nice house, nice lawn. You get what I'm saying? Uh, and you can be working with people. Um, everything looks great. And you have no idea. This woman here, the woman at the well, had five husbands. You talk about a, a heartache. You know what I mean? A hard life. So the result of my, the, the, the difficulty and hardness that I experienced in my life was to become bitter. Okay, to become bitter. And I became bitter at two main people. My father and God. Okay. Of course, this is all in retrospect. At the time, I didn't, you know. I mean, I guess at the time I probably knew that I didn't like my dad, but I didn't care, right? Uh, so I became a typical rebellious teenager, did all the things that teenagers are counseled not to do. As a matter of fact, if you counseled me not to do it, I would make sure I would do it. Um, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, the, you know, fighting, violence, just illegal things. Um, you know, a mess, a disaster, a train wreck, call it what you will. It wasn't good. Um, I, I think I've told you the story in the past that just give you a picture of, of you know, the, where I was at as a teenager. By the way, my high school years are like one big blob because I was either pretty much stoned or drunk all the time, so I can hardly remember. It's just like this blur. Um, I remember one year, I don't remember which it was, it was my sophomore or junior year, we, me and my friends uh, decided that on, on winter break, which I think was like 21 days, we, I think we had three weeks off for the Christmas, we would make sure that we got drunk every day of the break. And we did. But in order to do it, first we had to commit a crime and steal all the alcohol. So I won't get into the deal, details of that. But, but the point is, I mean, that gives you a picture of, of how I was living as a teenager. In, in rebellion against God and man. And I was angry. And so I used to get into a lot of fights, hurt people. And so... I realized at one point, I think when I was about 18, that, that um, if I continued on this path, I was either going to be dead or in jail. And by the grace of God, I kind of had an epiphany on that, in that regard. This wasn't like I was seeking God kind of thing. It was more like uh, someone that cared about me said, you know, by the way, how does it feel to be living as a criminal? And it never struck me that even though I was breaking the law all the time, that I was actually a criminal. That's what a criminal does, right? A criminal breaks the law. And like, oh, yeah, I guess I am a criminal. Uh, hmm. um, and what, what happens to criminals? They end up in jail, right? I didn't want to be in jail. Uh, so I thought, hmm, maybe I'm going in the wrong path. Uh, so decided that maybe I needed to stop doing the drugs and alcohol and stuff that I was doing. And uh, began to pursue uh, getting an education. It was at that time that the Lord broke into my life. And someone shared, shared the gospel with me, gave me a Bible to read, started reading it, uh, went to a Christian meeting, 
not because I was like hungry for the truth, but really because I was getting nagged to go. This is true. This is true. I was getting nagged to go. Matter of fact, when I, before I went to the meeting, I said, I will go on one condition. You never ask me again. I did. And I said, okay. And I came to the meeting, and guess what? I got born again. Born again. Um, went in in darkness, walked out in light. Radical, boom. Holy Ghost, boom. Changed, boom. There was no question. No question about it. It was a miraculous new birth. Now, every new birth is miraculous. But in my case, it was miraculous in the sense that it was obvious to all that something had happened. Uh, I think, as Diane said, my friends started thinking, I got religion. Okay? I had people call me, hey, I heard you got religion. Like, nope, I got Jesus, though. And so, you know, the, the desire... You know, for swearing and, and the drugs and the alcohol and all of this bad stuff, I mean, it went away. I had a hunger for the word, prayed, loved to be around Christians who before, by the way, I had hated and despised. Hated Christians. Hated Christians. So just a radical transformation. And I was 20 years old at the time. And I think I got baptized right before I was 21. So, you know, I mean, you can, you, you, I could talk about the, just the the sense of joy and the peace and the love and just the, the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit gives you, you know, that I had never experienced before in my life. The, the sense of freedom from guilt. I mean, one of the most amazing things to me on a subjective level was when I got saved was how free I felt from the burden of guilt. I mean, just, I didn't realize the weight that I had been carrying on myself because of all the sins in my life. I just had no idea the, the weight of that guilt until it left me, until it was gone. And so, you know, the, there's just so many things on a subjective level that God does in your life that are wonderful. And, of course, this is hard to explain to a non-believer. Because it's like Jesus is talking to this woman. He says, I have living water. Well, what the heck is that? And no, really, what's living water? Okay, so you talk to some, you talk to people about the God's changing your life a lot. They're like, okay, you know, clearly um, that doesn't mean you don't you don't testify. You do testify. You share it, and God can use it. Um, but you're talking about things that are supernatural. I mean, the joy of the Holy Ghost is supernatural, right? The peace of God is supernatural. Um, the love that God gives you for his people, it's supernatural. I mean, if you knew the hatred I had for, for Christians before I was saved, I mean, to think that I'd ever be spending my life serving Christians, I mean, you talk about a miracle. I mean, really, a miracle. So then, so then God saves me, and fortunately I was saved in a church that really believed the Bible. And I say that because many churches don't believe the Bible. You have the mainline denominations, which have probably since the turn of the 19th century have, have given up on the authority of Scripture. But now even in evangelicalism, you can see all sorts of crazy doctrines, heresies, and things going on. Um, my wife read me a, a post the other day from Facebook. This, this gal was going, a, a Christian claiming to say, 
Well, God, I think it had to do with the transgender things. Well, you know, God made all of us perfect. Not even God made us good, which is unbiblical. God made everyone perfect? What Bible are you reading? What language is that in? We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was conceived in iniquity. I mean, I could go scripture after scripture saying we're not, not only we're not born perfect, we're not born good. Now, I understand that in the, and, and, you know, I, I don't believe that we should make fun of people in the world that are lost, that are espousing crazy things, because that's what lost people do. Lost people don't have the scripture. They don't have the Holy Spirit. I don't expect them to live like Christians should live or believe in Christian belief. What annoys me, though, can I share what annoys me? What annoys me is when people say, Thus saith the Lord, God made you perfect. It's when the evangelical church espouses things which are plainly antithetical if you just read the Bible. That's all. Just read it. That's all you got to do. So I'm like, what do they do every Sunday? No, really, what do they, what do they read every Sunday? I don't know. It's, it's bizarre to me. But I was saved in a Bible church. They really believed the Bible. Uh, they gave me a nice leather Bible after I got saved. We went, I went to Bible study regularly. Uh, the preaching was from the Bible. It was pretty much a fundamentalist church in a lot of ways. But in other ways, it wasn't. Because the leadership of the church understood that if you're going to reach people, you can't look at things like how they look, what their background is, what their race is, and go down the list. Okay? And they were very mission-minded in that regard. As a matter of fact, the the lead pastor came to St. Louis from Florida because he felt the Holy Spirit said, go to St. Louis. You know how many people he knew in St. Louis? Zero. You know how many people his wife knew in St. Louis? Zero. So he got in his car, drove to St. Louis. You know where he lived? In his car. Like, okay, God, I'm here. What do I do now? (laughs) And God has used him over the years to reach hundreds, if not thousands of people, not only in St. Louis, but around the country. Many, 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 many people have come to Christ through him, but also through those that he led to Christ. Okay? And he's got so many wonderful stories. And the reason the reason he has wonderful stories, and the reason I have wonderful stories, is when you start walking by faith, you see God work miracles. I love the story. He shared about it. He was living in his car, and he needed gas. I mean, like, that's his only deal, his car, right? The heat in the car, the AC in the car. And, and he needed gas, and he didn't have any money, and he went to the gas station anyway, by faith. And he pulled up to the thing and got out of his car and walked over to the pump, and there was coins sitting there. And that's how much gas he bought that day. So, you know, man. God does amazing things. So, B.C., I was a mess. Jesus saved me. A.C., after, after Christ. There's so many... Okay, so God saved me, and the first thing he had to do is clean me up. Now, when I say the first thing, is that getting cleaned up never really stops. You've got to hear me now, you old fogies here. Hear me now, because you think you got it all together. Your soul is like an onion. Take a little peel off, 
There's another one to peel off, and another one to peel off, and another one to peel off. I mean, if you remember, the, what, what is the ultimate goal? Being like Jesus? Well, are you really there yet? Are you totally like Jesus yet? Come on, you can say no. You can admit it. Well, of course not. And so no matter how much we grow and learn, we still have layers. We still have, there, there's more we can learn. There's, there's more to Christ. Paul says that he refers to the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? So... Um, but the way God works in your life as a Christian is you go through cycles. And you go through period where God's really dealing with you to, okay, you know, that sin's bad. You need to, we need to fix that. And we, you need to fix this relationship, you know. And God's working with you and dealing with you. Um, and then there's other periods where that's, you don't have that. So there's like cycles. So God works on you, um, but he also works through you. Now, sometimes he does both of them at the same thing, at the same time. Now, my story is funny because most of the things I've done in my life in terms of ministry were things that I didn't really want to do. Hear me now. Hear me now. Okay? Um, what I mean is, is that the, I got saved, and I was asked to be involved in worship ministry, so I did it because I was asked. You know, I said, okay, good. Um, I, I definitely was involved in evangelism because that was part of the culture of the church. It was just understood that's what Christians do, and so we did it. Uh, I did it in my personal life, did it with others uh, at church. Um, you know, I, I would share the gospel with people at work. It was just, that's what Christians, one of the things Christians do. They read the Bible, they pray, they worship, they witness, they give. That's what they do. So that's what I was doing. Um, God opened a door for me to, to begin working in ministry outside of my local church. And it's a long story. I won't get into for the sake of time. But basically, I was asked to, to step in and, and take over a, a, uh, a uh, youth work. And so this is an interesting story because there's lessons for all of us here. So... I agreed to do it reluctantly, meaning at the time I didn't have an interest in doing youth work. That's not what I, I okay, hear me, I, it's not what I wanted to do. But I agreed because I felt like I had been asking the Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use me? Or basically what I was saying, hey, I want to be used, so use me. And then he gave me an opportunity. So, okay, well, I prayed, here's an opportunity. Get it, All right? Yes, that's what he was going to do. So um, there had been a, uh, there was a church in my area, which wasn't my home church, that asked me to step in and basically lead worship for the shoot thing. But then the, the leader of that group was going to leave. Uh, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm done here then. And then they said, hey, well, why don't you just take this thing over? I'm like, I don't even go to your church. I'm not even part of your denomination. I'm like, we don't care. Just do this thing. So um, the first night that I was the official leader, uh, there might have been 40 kids there. I gave a sermon, or I I taught. Next week, there might have been 15 there. A couple weeks later, there might have been five there. And then I came one night, and no one was there. I speak the truth. I speak the truth. 
So, you know, you want to talk about a test of your faith. Go to the meeting where you're the star and no one's there. No one's there. Well, that causes the crisis of faith, right? So, I sat down at the meeting when no one was there. And I realized there was somebody there. The Lord was there. So I said, well, I'll just talk to the Lord then. He's here. So I said, Lord, what in the heck are you doing? I said, Lord, why am I here and no one's here? What's the point of this? Uh, Clearly, I didn't hear you. And, And he brought to mind... To my mind, Jeremiah. And if you read the early chapters of Jeremiah, it's clear, there's no question, Jeremiah was called by God. Because in the first chapter, God says, I called you from your mother's room. He was called of God to be a prophet. And he was called of God to be a prophet in his day. And he was told, it's going to be rough. Okay? It's going to be rough. That's a paraphrase. And as you read Jeremiah, what you find out is Jeremiah preached, and did the people repent? No. They didn't receive Jeremiah. And what happened to Jeremiah? Did he get a nice mansion? And a nice car? A nice new chariot? What happened to Jeremiah? And you guys have not read Jeremiah? Come on. Yeah, thrown in prison. He was basically thrown in a dungeon. The people didn't receive him. The people didn't repent. He was, he was uh, attacked as a prophet. He was, he was imprisoned. It didn't go well for Jeremiah. Um, and even at one point, if you read Jeremiah, he says to God, God, you have deceived me. Well, that's how I felt. Now, my situation is nothing compared to Jeremiah's. But the point is, you think you're supposed to do something, and then what you see is like, blah. <laughs> a mess. Okay, this clearly can't be God's will. Because we believe that God only gives us success. See, we believe God only gives us good things. We believe God only makes us happy. Right? Um, And so the Lord brought to mind Jeremiah, and he said, here's the lesson for all of us. Let me give you the biblical definition of failure. You ready? There's only one definition of failure in the Bible. And that is disobeying the will of God. If you do the will of God, you are a success. It doesn't matter if you end up in prison. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, uh, you know his story, a a German Christian during Hitler's uh, reign of terror during World War II, and he protested the Nazis. He stood against the Nazis, and his reward was he ended up in a concentration camp, and his final reward was that he was hung a day before the Allies freed uh, all of the prisoners. That was his reward. Uh, He was a success. He died betrayed, forsaken, falsely accused, hung, He was a success. God's definition of success is doing his will. And if you do his will, he will take care of the results, whatever they may be. 
And we heard story after story last week from, from people, excuse me, yesterday, from people at the conference of, of sowing the word into people's lives. And some people they saw come to Christ. Some people they don't know what happened. Some people they got a firm rejection. The response of people to the word of God and the response of people to your testimony, is you can't control their response. That's not your problem. And I know many Christians are like, yeah, we need to share Jesus with people. And they share Jesus with a couple people and they get rejected. I'm like, oh, well, I guess this doesn't work. And they quit. They quit sharing the gospel because so it's not because the intensity of the rejection, like, well, people don't want to hear it, so we just won't do it. We, the church, we can convert nobody. Are you hearing me? Yes. We, we can't convert anybody. You don't get converted by another person. You don't get converted by Christ. You get converted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? But the Holy Spirit uses people to reach people. So we're just vehicles for, for, for the message. We're tools that God uses. But God is the one that has to, to enlighten the mind of the lost that they might see. God is the one that has to, re, has to remove the veil. God is the one that regenerates the heart. Amen? God's the one that saves. We don't save. But it's required of us to be faithful. Faithful. So I'm sitting there on the curb in the parking lot. No one's at my meeting. Feeling like an utter failure. And God just said, be faithful. Remember Jeremiah and be faithful. Like, okay. Now, the thing you have to remember is that not only did I feel like a failure, I didn't want to do it in the first place. I'm like, Lord, what is this? Like double torture? I don't want to do this. And then I'm like, I, I yield and do it. And then it's a mess. So I'm like, okay. Just be faithful. So I was just faithful. I wasn't good. I wasn't great. I wasn't inspiring. I wasn't awesome. I was just faithful. And over the years, God ended up taking a handful of junior high kids who then got a little bit older high school and, and talking to their friends about the Bible and about God. And we ended up seeing hundreds and hundreds of kids come to Christ. Okay. Um, many of those people I know today are still walking with the Lord. Some of them are in the ministry. Some of them went into, the mission, into mission work. We're, we're talking about God really doing a work in people's lives, saving souls, changing lives, okay? Um, but to God be all the glory. And, 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 and the thing is, what, what if I sat on that curb that day and said, the heck with it. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do that. What then? I know all you good Calvinists are saying, well, God would have done it some other way. I think that is a cop-out. I think it's a total cop-out. I think it's an excuse to say, my choices don't matter. When if you believe that, then just go live like a total pagan. Your choices do matter. They really do matter. And there are consequences to our choices. 
And when God spoke to Ezekiel, another prophet, he said, you better warn the unrighteous. You better warn the wicked. Because if you don't warn the wicked, I will require their blood at your hand. Ezekiel knew God. He could have said, wait a minute, I can't save anybody. This is your problem. You, you save them. Now, this, this is, this is the, one of the perennial mysteries. We don't understand God's sovereignty and man's will and how, how they really concur, how they, how they work together and both are true. I don't, I don't understand it. No one, no one understands this. And if you think you understand it, you need to bow down. Okay? Because you don't understand it. Okay? Augustine didn't understand it. Aquinas didn't understand it. Calvin didn't. Luther didn't. Okay, they all grapple with it. There's a fundamental mystery we don't understand. Okay? But I know this. We are accountable for our actions. And so it really mattered that I said yes to God that day. And it mattered in people's lives, and it mattered in their eternities. And we heard stories yesterday about people who felt prodded to share the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel, and they didn't. And the person they, they, they felt prodded to share with ended up dying shortly after that. I had an experience like that a few years ago where somebody was on my heart a lot, and I'm like, yeah, I need to call him. I need to call him. I need to call him. Um, and then one day I found out he committed suicide. I blew it. There is no question in my mind that God wanted me to get together with this guy because he was struggling and I blew it. So, um, our response to God's work in our life as Christians, uh, it matters. But it doesn't just matter for our own personal happiness. It matters for the sake of other people. One of the most important things I learned as a young Christian um, is this, is that God, God in saving me, in saving me, was calling me to save others. In other words, my salvation was not an end in itself. My salvation was a chapter in a story. And then the next chapter is how this person called David got saved. And the next chapter is how, how God began to change that person. And the next chapter is how God began to use that person. And the next chapter is, oh, now we have someone else's story. Okay? And so, one of the beautiful things about David and Heather's presentation yesterday you didn't see it, but you'll hear it on the podcast, as she starts four generations back and talks about people's decisions and how their decisions affected other people's lives and how their decisions affected those lives, and down you go. Our decisions matter, and our decisions to share the gospel matter for people's souls. Um, Jesus is faithful. Amen? Amen. If you've walked with the Lord at any length of time, what you, what you will know and you can testify to is that God is good and God is faithful. And you'll, you'll, have, you'll have those stories. 
about whether it's physical need or uh, financial need or physical need or different, different things. You, you see God working and you see God providing and you see God doing things and you, you, you have stories to tell people. And if you don't have any stories, get some stories, man. And the way you get stories is you step out in faith. Do the thing you don't think you can do. Do that thing. Do the thing you're thinking, no, that's a stretch for me. Do that thing. And for, for many of us, that thing is, is, is no, nothing grander than just beginning to talk to people we know about Christ. Step out in faith and begin to share your faith. And, and you, you will see God work. I mean, some of the, some of the, you ever been full of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not talking about any weird phenomenon. Just full of the Holy Spirit. You ever experienced that? A couple of you? Some of the most powerful times in my life of the reality of God were actually when I was sharing with people. Amen. Now, I've had powerful times in my prayer closet, you know, with the word and prayer just before the Lord. I had a powerful time this morning during worship. But I am, I mean, there are times that I've been sharing Christ with someone and it's just miraculous. Yeah. The power the, the wisdom, I mean, literally, yeah. script, you can quote scriptures you yeah. didn't, didn't even know you ever read. Yeah. No, really, the, ins, the insights you get. I mean, the Holy Spirit, God is real. Amen. The Holy Spirit's real. And, 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 and it's like, but I would have never ex- experienced that if I hadn't been willing to step out in faith. Yeah. You know, one of the things that came up at the conference and has been coming up as people talk about the importance of outreach is, is, is you hear a lot of people say, We'll pray, you know, we'll pray about this. And somebody always says, Lord, help me with my fear. Um, and I get that. I, I, I'm not, not criticizing anybody. If you're intimidated by sharing the faith, I'm not criticizing you. Um, but there's only one solution to fear. Faith. You can pray all day long. Listen, you can pray all day long. Say, God, help me get over my fear of water. And then you walk up to the pool and you look at it. And I can assure you, you'll still be afraid of it. You can pray and pray and pray. But until you jump in the pool, you'll never conquer your fear. Is anybody here afraid of water? No? That's how it works. And so as as you think about your story and your witness and your testimony and the people that the Lord wants you to talk to, you might feel fearful, intimidated. Maybe they'll reject you. Maybe they'll criticize you. But you know what? The only solution to that, after praying, I'm not saying don't pray. That's not what I'm saying. But after praying, the solution is doing. I believe, and I see this in many areas of, of, of the Christian life, is I think that we believe that we pray for something to happen on the inside while we're waiting. And then after it happens, then we will obey. Lord, give me a heart for the lost. But until I care, I'm not going to share. <laughs> now think about it. Until I care, I'm not going to share. Well, show me that Bible verse. I mean, it's an unbiblical notion. Now, we should pray for our hearts to change. If we're cold toward the lost, we should pray for our hearts to change. I mean, that's a biblical prayer, yes. But you don't say, okay, until I feel 
the right way subjectively, I will not do what the Bible tells me to do. That's subjectivism. That's not, that's not how you, that's like saying, okay, God, well, if you give me a really, really strong hunger for the Bible, I'll read it. But until I, you give me the hunger, I'm not going to read it. Okay, God, uh, um, I know I'm supposed to give, but I don't really want to give. So until you make me feel really generous, I'm not going to give. Okay, God, well, I know I'm supposed to, to serve in, in, my, in my church community, but until you give me a heart of a servant, I'm not going to serve. Lord, I know your Bible says that you came to, to, to seek and make worshipers, but I don't really like, like singing, and I don't really want to worship, so if you change my feelings about worship, then I'll worship. Is that how this Christian thing works? No. Well, of course not. Of course not. And what you find is the more you obey, the more you like to obey. Because you experience the blessings of obedience and the fruits of obedience. You're like, wow, the Bible is, really is awesome. I just read it. Worship is amazing when I really surrender in worship. And, and go down the list. In the same way with evangelism. If, if you begin to show your faith as an act of obedience, not because you're at home weeping for the lost. Oh, God. Because in reality, most of us don't care. Just being honest. Let's just be honest, okay? Though maybe we care a little if we stop and think about it. But the problem is we're so busy, we don't stop and think about it. Our lives are full. So, you know, you're like, okay, God wants me to do something, I better do it. And the story of my AC Christian life is simply that. Realizing that God wanted me to do things and, and realizing that my preference wasn't the issue. What I wanted wasn't the issue. The issue was faithfulness to God in that moment. So if God wanted me to, to, to uh, go and do a discipleship group with a bunch of snotty junior high kids, then I was to obey that. Okay? And, and if God wanted me to, to lead worship at that, that church where I did years ago, then I should obey that. And if God wanted me, I need to obey that. Not because that's what I want, but because it's what he wants. This is the cost, the cost, but also the blessing of the Christian life. And they go hand in hand. Now, I think in, in, in I know I'm rambling, sorry, I'll be done in a minute. As David said yesterday, in conclusion, <laughs> as he was making fun of me saying in conclusion, uh, is that American evangelicalism, we've tried to devise this theology where we separate the sacrifice from the blessing. Now think, think with me for a minute. So if you look at the Bible, it, it's clear that, that being walking with the Lord has all kinds of blessings, right? All kinds of blessings. But it's also clear that it has costs involved. I mean, it's just this honest reading of Scripture, right? Jesus even says repeatedly, count the cost. I mean, he's like, okay. So what we try to do is we, we, we were like, okay, I want to take part of that, the good part, and talk about that all the time, write books on that. I want the blessings. I don't want to talk about the hard part, the sacrifice, the cost. The irony is, is that you really don't, get the blessings without the cost. It doesn't work that way. 
Jesus, I think Hannah quoted the scripture in Hebrews, Jesus looked forward through the cross to the joy set before him, which was what? It was the church. Okay? It was the, what he purchased, what he gained, the blessing that God gave to him in light of his suffering. Okay? Now, Jesus, you know, I guess he could have disobeyed God and not gone to the cross, but he would have never got the blessing. But what did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. Right? That was the path of the blessing. The irony, it's, some people, it's not strictly a paradox, but the irony is, is that the path that cost us is also the path that blesses us. And we can never separate the two. You have to remember that. If you want the blessings of God, if you want the fullness of Christ in your life, you can't choose the easy path. That's not the path of blessing. And this is why many Christians stall out after a while. They just stall out. They're not growing. They're not, there's nothing in their Christian life, but they might go to church and every week it's just a routine they're into. They stall out spiritually. And it's because what God is working in their life and calling them things, but, but they're like, I don't, not made consciously, but they're saying the cost. I don't want the cost. And then you lose out on the blessings. So, um, God has done wonderful, 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 wonderful things in my life. I have a wonderful wife, wonderful family. Um, uh, I mean, the Lord has just done amazing things. The, the way the Lord has used me over the years just blows my mind. I've seen many, many people come to Christ, many, many uh, lives saved, marriages saved, people growing in the faith. I've seen many, many, many good things. Yes, there's a cost, uh, but it's been worth the cost. God wants, I'm going to conclude. God wants to use you. Okay? He's not done writing your story. He's not done writing your story. And I don't care if you're 8, 18, or 88. He's not done writing your story. Let God continue to write your story, but let God use your story. Share your story because it's ultimately his story. It's bragging about him and what he's done for you and saving you, what he's done for you in working in your life and blessing your life in so many ways. Share his story by sharing your story. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you that um, those of us here that know you uh, have a wonderful story to tell. Each one of us. Um, We thank you, Lord, uh, for saving us. We thank you for being real in our lives. We thank you for the good things you have done in the past. We thank you for the things you're doing now. We thank you for the things you will do in the future. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that, um, like this woman at the well, would just tell the people we know our story. It's not that hard. Just tell people our story. I met this man. He's the Christ. I'm sure of it. Here's what he did in my life. 
So, Lord, we thank you that it's a privilege to be an instrument in your hand to reach others. It is a great, that in itself is a great blessing, God. May we truly appreciate the blessing it is to share your story with others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.